and welcome to the latest edition of the Lawrence University Career Center podcast. We speak with Lawrence alumni about their lives and careers after Lawrence. My name is Ty Collins, and joining us this month is Maggie Schmidt from the Lawrence class of 2012. Maggie earned her BA in history and government and was very engaged while at Lawrence, having studied abroad in Botswana and was involved in at least half a dozen student organizations. Following graduation from Lawrence, she earned her Master of Public Health degree and her JD from the University of New Hampshire. In the intervening years, Maggie has done everything from a fellowship with the Human Rights Campaign to working for the U.S. Department of Justice to teaching archery for the Girl Scouts. Today, Maggie is the supervising attorney for the Children's Law Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, Maggie. Thanks for having me. So to start, can you tell us more about what the Children's Law Center is and what you do there? Absolutely. Uh, So Children's Law Center of D.C. is a nonprofit organization that works together with D.C. children and families to solve various legal problems. Um, So we have a number of different pieces of our team. We have a guardian ad litem team. So that works with children in the foster care system. We also have a pro bono team that works with children going through custody proceedings with their parents. We also have um, our medical legal partnership, which is what I'm a part of. So we work with Children's National Hospital Clinics and their doctors refer us their patients who have legal problems that that are affecting their health. Um, So things like housing or education, like special education needs, social security benefits, or even if they're denied coverage for something on their health insurance. We also have a policy team and an appeals team. So our policy team takes our experience and brings it to the DC council. And our appeals team helps us when we want to go higher up in the court system. So nice holistic group of people working together. And then I am one of the supervising attorneys in the medical legal partnership. Um, So essentially, I'm a manager. So I take my own cases. So I'll be working with a family in an IEP meeting or representing somebody in housing court. But most of my work is done supervising staff attorneys who handle their caseloads, as well as a number of them are what we call our clinic attorneys. So they actually are the attorneys who go to the hospital and have an office that patients can come to. So they work right at the hospital then? Yeah, right in the hospital. So they have an office there and an office in our building. So it's very cool that they can directly interact with everyone. Oh, yeah, for sure. So maybe my intro uh, was certainly not a complete accounting of your career for the past 10 years since leaving Lawrence. Can you talk about the variety of work that you've done, including some of the positions I may have missed and the overall path your career has followed? Yeah, it's definitely been a lot of different things over 10 years, hard to believe. Um, So right after law school or right after undergrad, I went to law school. And so in the law school programs, you get the opportunity to do internships in clinics. Um, So what clinics are in the legal sense is it's actually like a little law firm in your law school that there's a professor who takes cases and you work on them. So I worked in the immigration clinic there. So had a number of different cases and then also did some internships through some policy groups, the New Hampshire Institute for Health Policy and Practice. And then every summer I had an internship, one at a very small nonprofit in Vermont called Have Justice Will Travel. So I worked with families going through like divorce and custody, um, many who are experiencing domestic and sexual violence 
and the human rights campaign, I was a law fellow. So I did a lot of legal research down on matters relating to the LGBTQ community um, in the time in between the two marriage cases, because that was back in 2014. So marriage was not legal across the country at that point. And then I had a very cool experience where I got to do a full-time internship for one semester of law school instead of taking classes, which was probably the best decision I made. And I worked at the Department of Justice Office on Violence Against Women. So they implement the Violence Against Women Act. So I got to do a little bit of policy, a little bit of grant work, a little bit of writing. And I got to go to White House task forces, which was incredibly cool, especially it was back in the days of the Obama administration. And what was an added bonus from there, I got connected with a researcher at UNH who was doing research on sexual violence and resilience work post-sexual trauma. And she needed a grad assistant when I needed a job for my last year of the public health degree. And so that's where I then went and did some more like hardcore research working in a couple social psychology labs, including getting to help author a paper on Title IX, which was really cool. So had some really great post Lawrence, but still within the college academic world of law school and public health school. Then I had to get my big girl, big girl job, as we all talk about. Um, and I had always wanted to be in D.C., so had done the process of taking the bar in Massachusetts and waving into D.C. Waving in just means you don't have to take the test. You just write a check and they do your background check and swear you in. And then I uh, got my very first job working at the Network for Victim Recovery of D.C. So I worked with survivors of crime, primarily with civil protection orders. So I was actually doing all the trials, getting openings, closings, directs really getting to do like that core litigation work. And then as victims of crime and criminal cases, so trying to assert their rights, which was a unique process. And then a lot of Title IX campus hearings. After that, I moved up to Massachusetts and did very similar work to NVRDC at the Victim Rights Law Center, where I did a lot of focus on education. So lots of college Title IX, as well as going into the K-12 world with IEPs, 504s, accommodations. And then, you know, the pandemic hit and I got to think about life and really wanted to be back in the D.C. area. So took a position at Maryland Legal Aid doing work as a foster care attorney and representing the children. So my clients range from age one day to 21. So worked with a variety of kids and then had the opportunity to move over to the supervising job. So definitely a lot of twists and turns, but all have led up to where I am now and very helpful experience. I want to go back to the part where you were able to do an internship as opposed to a semester at law school. Is that a, a universal option at most law schools? It's not a universal option. So when looking at law schools, I encourage anyone that I speak to to ask about. It's either a legal residency or an extern program. Some schools will allow a full semester. Some will allow you to take like a half semester or partial credit. So every school is different there. It just depends how they've structured it through the American Bar Association for credits. But it's becoming more and more popular. I would, I would imagine that experiential knowledge would be important, you know, just as doing an internship in your undergrad was important. Yeah, absolutely. And it also really helps solidify what you want to do, getting to do it day in and day out versus for 10 weeks over the summer. Yeah, for sure. Because you've had all these different positions, you haven't necessarily stayed long at any one place. 
Is that an intentional part of your career plan? And if so, can you explain why? Yeah. So the um, post-law school grad would say that that is absolutely not intentional, but it ended up being intentional. So as I mentioned, I went to the, the Network for Victim Recovery of DC, loved the job, loved being in the area, and life happened. So I had a family member who had a pretty horrific stroke, and I really needed to go back and be with my family. And it happened at that time, the Victim Rights Law Center was looking for an education attorney. So that move became one to be closer to my family, but also expand my career. Um, and which I will always be grateful for those years. And it's something that when you're newer in your career, you have the opportunity to do. And then the shift down to Maryland Legal Aid was a decision of, you know, I love the work, but New England was just not where I wanted to be. And yeah. so I made the decision of, I want to be back in this area. And maybe it's not the job I've been doing, but it's a job I can do and I can grow and it gets me down. And then my most recent move was the career jump. Um, unfortunately, sometimes in nonprofits, you can't always wait for somebody to leave in your organization to move up. Yeah. Um, so it can be easier to go to another organization. And so all of my moves, while I wouldn't say were originally planned as intentional, they all had very intentional thoughts behind the transitions. Yeah. And it's and, and that's not to apply at all that that changing job frequently is is a bad thing. That's totally common these days, where people are changing jobs every couple of years. At the you know the days of you know our our grandparents who worked you know at one place for forty years and then retired with their gold watch. Those those days are long gone. Um, but I was just curious if you know kind of how that developed. Yeah, well, as absolutely. we've heard, you have worked in a variety of settings, but I didn't hear the you know, traditional law firm in there really. Why have you chosen not to do that? Yeah. Um, so when I was at Lawrence, I was big into doing health and wellness work, LGBTQ advocacy, advocacy for survivors of domestic and sexual violence. So I always wanted to go to law school with the intent of being a public interest lawyer. I knew that there were lawyers who were prosecutors or people who helped um, survivors in custody courts. And I knew there were people who were education lawyers. So I knew there were lawyers who weren't in firms and, but worked directly with these populations. So as I learned more about the legal career after I got into law school, so always nice when you can learn about these things beforehand, um, I learned about nonprofits and the role they play in the legal structure. And it's just where I wanted to be. And I had a really strong connection that first job at Have Justice Will Travel, my legal research professor had interned for her. And so as soon as she heard what I wanted to do, she's like, I need to connect you with this person. So, and the more I did the work, the more I loved it and learned in the public interest world, they really want you to have that experience working directly with clients. So I just wanted to keep building that experience. And I also learned in both from friends, but also in the course of law school that there's a very big difference between being a firm attorney and um, what we call public interest attorney in terms of lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Firm attorneys do tend to have very busy calendars. They'll work 80 to 100 hours. They'll have very nice apartments that they might never see um, <laughs> versus I work a 40 hour week job. I take my vacations. I have my weekends. It's a rarity I ever have to work on the weekend. So I chose that balance and getting to do the work I wanted. And so for me, that was 
a much bigger benefit coming out of law school. Yeah, I think lifestyle considerations are a lot more common among you know, graduates today than than they were a long time ago, which is good. I think that's really important to, to look at where job fits as part of your life, not your job being your life. Yes. A lot of the students I work with express an interest in, in going the path that you've gone, you know, working for organizations, trying to do good in the, in the community, in the world. Um, so I do have a two-part question. Part one is, what should students with an interest in doing good be doing now as a student to prepare for that? And then part two is, what should a student do if they still want to do good in the world, but choose not to pursue law? Both really good questions. So the first part about what can you do now? I think at Lawrence, we have a really great academic foundation. And so you can read about a lot of these issues, whether it's internationally, nationally, or just down the road. And so I encourage people to get out and either volunteer or when you're thinking about what to do over the summer, finding an internship with a group that is in your interest area. So if you're really interested in immigrant justice, there are a lot of immigrant justice centers. There are groups that help with not just the legal part, but teaching English to new arrivals to the country, um, helping with food or job support, or there are housing providers. So they work with transitional housing programs, or there's so many different areas that you can do good in. And there's lots of organizations that are doing the part outside of the law that if you can be in those areas, you can learn a lot. So if you sit and maybe volunteer for a crisis center, you'll learn a lot about that area, which then you'll be like, and now I see how the law fits in. And you can really learn that background that going to law school, law school will teach you the book part. It won't always teach you how to work with people. So then you'll set yourself up for a career there, but also find out if that's your interest area. Because sometimes you read about something and then you actually work with the client base or you work with the organization and you're like, maybe this isn't what I want to be doing. And so I think the earlier you can do that and kind of figure out what's your passion is helpful. And also defining, is it what I want my career to be in? Or is this maybe going to be the thing that I volunteer on the board or um, contribute to in other ways, but it's not my full-time job? And then it is always valid to not go to law school. I think law isn't built for everyone. And it is it is one system that many of our students are up against. And there are a number of systems that work together. So when I highlighted working with immigrant populations, we'd always work with like Lutheran services. So they would have social workers and case managers. So working in those actual organizations can be a whole nother role. So there's a lot of social work opportunities there's a lot of opportunities in policy, both like local policy. So down to like your city council or working at small like statewide advocacy groups or national advocacy groups. Um, I'm also a public health background as well. A There are a lot of different public health advocacy groups, public health workers that you can be on the ground working with people without necessarily like writing contracts or filling out forms or going to court. And then even within the court system, there's a lot of advocates. So like prosecutor's offices, a lot of them have victim advocate specialists. So they're there supporting the victim of a crime, but they're also helping apply for different benefits or helping them get to court or manage things after. So within a lot of legal systems, there tends to be case managers, social workers, family outreach workers. And so you can even look at a legal organization and tend to find a non-legal job that could be a really good fit, especially if you have 
the people set. And that's really where your passion is. So occupations and professions are constantly changing. The legal profession is no exception to that. For Lauren students aspiring to go into law, what are some of the changes happening in that field that you see coming in the next few years? The legal profession is notoriously this kind of like slow moving battlefield. Pre-pandemic, everything was in the courthouse. Lots of stuff was filed on paper. Everything was done in paper. I'd have binders full of photographs and videos that I was putting on CDs to come and play in court. And now with the pandemic, there are some parts of court, not all courts, but some parts of courts that are virtual, some that are hybrid, some systems that are hybrid. I just did a social security hearing entirely on the phone. Never saw the judge. He might have been sitting at home, just like hanging out with his dog for all I know. But Michael (laughs) and I were sitting in my office. So it's this really interesting profession that used to be very brick and mortar that hasn't quite figured out where it's going. So going into law, I think being very dynamic. If you are somebody who wants to be entirely remote, that might be a challenge. If you want to be entirely in person, that's not a guarantee either. So you really have to be dynamic in the environments you work in and really creative about that. The one benefit to law though, is there are some like foundational fundamentals that will never change. You'll always have to know how to research and write and know how to do those well and efficiently. And you'll also have to have people skills. Lawyers aren't just the ones like talking in court. We have to talk to our clients. We have to talk to opposing counsels. We have to investigate. So really staying kind of polished on those old brick and mortar skills will also help you with the dynamic change, especially as we continue to maybe figure out if we're going to go back in person. In what way do you see AI, artificial intelligence impacting the legal profession? It's going to cause a fun ethical question for probably the next five to 10 years. We're already starting to see some people trying to figure out how to use it in writing or briefings. Um, As lawyers, we have a lot of cases that are all very similar. And you used to take a motion, use it as a sample, kind of tweak it based on the new facts, especially if it was a successful motion. We don't necessarily reinvent the wheel. Um, But there's more look into how can we use AI to do the research behind it, especially case law research is a little different than some of the research you might do, or at least what I experienced at Lawrence, where you might find a case that's good, but then 10 years later, another case overruled it. And so you have to know if it's a good case. And that's really where people are thinking AI is going to take over. But then how do you know if it's on point to your issue? Because just because it overturned one principle in a case doesn't mean the fact that you cite it for isn't still good law. I also think AI is really going to continue to spark the online world that we see where people use for wills and power of attorneys or um, landlord-tenant lease agreements. So I think we'll see more and more people using that for areas that tend to be expensive to have an attorney or not always accessible. Um, And I think it's going to have a mix because I think there are some areas where having access to documents or lawyer speak is helpful, but I think it's actually going to create more challenges for the lawyers who are barred to make sure that they're still upholding their ethics. So while it might create some better access to justice, I think some lawyers who are willing to take advantage of AI could run into some challenges. Definitely looking forward to what a lot of our ethics councils, because every state has a bar that has ethics lawyers who think about all of this, and we're starting to see them come out. So I think that will really guide where we go with AI. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. 
So Megan, you are a member of the Lawrence University Alumni Association, a name which may not be familiar to most students, but suffice to say, it means you remain very involved with the university. Why have you chosen to stay so active with Lawrence more than a decade later? Yeah, um, so I'm one of the alumni board of directors. It was a really cool opportunity that as a young alum, I was like, well, this is really interesting. And I was really able to integrate back into a community that having stepped away from Lawrence and been in law school, been in the working world, I realized how much I gained and then how much connection to all my Lawrence people I still have and how much they're a big part of my life. I still have like my Lawrence gals chat. I have all these people that had I not been at Lawrence and connected with them, my life might've been different and really getting to be another bridge into the, as I think the full adult world versus the Lawrence bubble that we had or moving and shifting into areas. It's nice to be able to connect with people and be like, there is life and you can transition. And there's also just this great community of Lawrence alumni everywhere. So when I was bouncing between New England and DC, I could always find the Lawrence people. And so it made me want to really stay connected and find ways to keep fostering those connections especially as we move through time, because it's always fun when we can have a Lawrence event in town. So how does the LUAA impact the average student's life? Well, I know we're, we're doing a lot. Um, I, was <laughs> one of, <laughs> I was one of those um, alums who was part of the Forever Laurentian work last year. And I know that there's a big drive for alums. They really want to connect with students, just even about career conversations, or what skills you can build. Cause so many of us Laurentians don't have a traditional path or we take a less traditional path because we have a lot of interest areas. That's one of the huge benefits of the liberal arts degree. I mean, I have a public health degree where I went and learned like biological sciences and epidemiology and then did law at the same time. So really getting to talk to people who've been able to synthesize their passions or figure out how to keep a passion that they may be fostered at Lawrence. So I know we're doing uh, more work around like supporting career communities and connecting with students and integrating more into like welcome week and really just being more of a, an opportunity on campus. When I was on the awards committee, I learned about like a lot of really amazing alums, ones that make me go, oh, wow, I haven't done a lot yet. Um, and really getting to highlight those stories and connect them to students where students can see themselves, especially in the young alum population. Um, it's very, I know when I was a student seeing somebody who graduated 30 years before, I was like, I'll never get there, but then seeing somebody five, 10 years out. So really getting to like bring those stories and help reconnect people, which there's a big drive and it's a lot easier having more virtual connections to all of our alums all over the U.S. and the world. You've had 10 years of life experience um, since leaving Lawrence. Does Lawrence still impact your life today? And if so, in what way? Yeah. So I think outside of the board work, because that obviously is a, a big part of my day to day, really my core group of friends, the ones that when I'm having a terrible day, they tend to be the Lawrence people hmm. that I can pick up and call. And it's just so nice to have that community that just has that other connection, especially being in like a big city where everybody went to big name schools and had their TAs. I can talk to somebody who had a professor and travel with the professor and just continuing that connection. 
I also think having those fundamental skills that I got from Lawrence with writing, being creative, working together with people, dialoguing with people. I don't always agree with everyone, even my own colleagues. We sometimes thoroughly disagree on how to go about a case, but I've learned how to actually speak and talk and collaborate and work through things that I don't think I would have had not having lived on campus and really done that in our small group setting where you are accountable for what you say, what you do, what you write. And you're really encouraged to take some challenges, whether it's in your academics, whether it's in a leadership role, you're really able to expand in a way that's comfortable so that now as an adult, that's a lot less scary. So going out for a leadership position or a job that maybe I'm qualified for, but I know I have all the skills and I know they've been sharpened and refined. Um, And it's something that was reinforced even when I was in graduate school. A lot of professors were like, you write really well. I don't have comments. And that wouldn't have been without Lawrence or Mm -hmm. your presentation skills are really good. Well, I had to do a lot of these presentations or we were up at Bjork pretending to be the Model UN. So all of those pieces and then this additional community. So it really does integrate, I think, more than I imagined it would when I graduated. We're getting close to the end. So here's an open-ended question Um, for students considering law school. What else do you suggest that is something we haven't yet covered? When everyone's thinking of law school, it's not for everybody, but everyone also feels like they have to go right away. Law school is one of these great professional programs that you do not have to do when you are fresh out of your graduation. Um, My school called that K through JD. While I have one of those, it doesn't mean you're any more successful. One of my friends from law school, she started law school at 55 and graduated and now is like a super big patent trademark giant. And a lot of my law school colleagues had actually been in the working world and had found their area of law, found their passion. And so you don't have to have it decided before you leave Lawrence. You could say, you know, I think I want to go to law school. But maybe like the money doesn't work right now or I'm not 100% sure. So it doesn't hurt to take time off. It's actually one of the things if I had taken time off, I might have figured out I wanted to do a dual degree and then would have gone to a school that had one built as opposed to creating my own. So I think that's something really to consider. And if you really want to go, but you're not sure, there are lots of jobs. There are a lot of great paralegal or legal assistant opportunities. And the other thing, too, is if you think you want to be a court lawyer, go observe. The bailiffs will always let you observe. Even when I would go observe, they'd fill you in on what was going on in the case and just see if it's an environment you want to be in. Because law isn't an environment that can be replicated, even in like a mock trial setting. So even just going and seeing. But I think the big piece is, no, you don't have to go the year after you graduate. There are plenty of people who law is their second profession, even people who have like medical doctorate degrees have gone and become lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not something, if you don't do it now, it's always going to be there. Uh, My last question then, and we mentioned earlier in the intro that um, one of your things is, is teaching archery for the Girl Scouts. Why should everyone learn archery? Well, everyone should learn archery because it's a fabulous stress reliever, especially (laughs) if you are in law school and studying. Um, (laughs) But The big thing that archery and Girl Scouts, I do archery, I do outdoor skills. I also do like high ropes and rock climbing is Girl Scouts gives me my outdoor programs, which is my hobby outside of my day job. Um, And I think it's been what's helped me be so successful is having a hobby that isn't my job. 
So I really encourage, even if it's not archery, though archery is cool, to have a hobby outside of work that you can help center yourself and really gives you some enjoyment. So, but yes, everyone should learn archery. (laughs) That'll be my next thing. All right, Maggie Schmidt, thank you so much for joining us on the Lawrence Career Center podcast. Of course, thank you.